OVS Orbit, the podcast for Open vSwitch users and developers, Episode 5. I'm your host, Ben Pfeff. This episode is an interview with two developers, Tamo Kaponen and Yusheng Wang. I worked with Tamo for years at Nsera and then at VMware, where he represented a good deal of the brains behind the NVP Network Virtualization Controller, which was later renamed to NSXMH. Tamu has now moved on to a startup called Styra, but he still lets me pick his brain for design advice on OVN, the new Open vSwitch-based open-source network virtualization controller that I've been working on. Yusheng Wang, on the other hand, is a current VMware developer who came to me a while back with a demo that he wanted to show off. It turned out that the demo represented five or 6,000 lines of code that he had developed on his own initiative and wanted to contribute to the OVN project. Obviously, I was impressed and I wanted to take it, but I also thought it was a good idea to talk to Tamu for a bit too, since the code was an implementation of the NLog language, which at least to me has always seemed like Tamu's baby. This podcast is the result. It left me pretty excited about getting NLog into OVN. On to the interview. In the previous interviews I've done for this podcast, I've been talking to just a single person. But today uh, with me, I've got two guests. I've got Yusheng Wang from VMware, and I have Temu Koponen from Styra. Is that how you pronounce it? Yeah, that's, that's roughly the, the U.S. version of pronunciation. Oh, is there another version? Uh, it's actually Swedish. Oh, so uh, how do the Swedes pronounce it? I think they say it like Stura. Okay, okay. Thanks for talking to me. Do you each want to say anything about yourselves uh, as sort of an introduction for the listeners? I've known Ben for quite a few years, so we were both like founding employees at Nizira, and while Ben was mostly focusing on, on the switching side of the things, I was more involved on the controller side of things, really, and I've built quite a few versions of different kinds of SDN controllers and network virtualization platforms over the years. And uh, Yusha? So I'm working on VMware, and I've been never working on the open source side. Uh, in the VMware, I'm working on the NSX, mainly the upper layers. So by upper layer, I mean the management plane and the controller plane. I've been involved in a lot of discussions of the controller design and implementation. How have you gotten involved in OVN at VMware? I'm a little curious about that. Okay, so, um, so I think the last year, when I was there, I talked a lot with Timu, and we talked about the architecture, the story of OVN. So it looks like we have a chance to do something new from scratch, and I think that is an interesting thing. I think so too. Glad to be involved in, in OVN. Today, what I'm hoping to talk about is NLog, since both of you have been involved in, in NLog uh, in one way or another. But I, I think that probably most people don't have any idea what we're talking about. Do one of you want to define what NLog is? So actually the name stands for Nisira Log or Data Log. So it really is a specific version of Data Log we implemented uh, at Nisira for the controllers uh, to compute the forwarding state for the OpenFlow switches we were managing. So that's the very concise description. Analog itself, the form of data log it provides is very limited. We have no recursion, no negation. It was actually the most basic version of data log we were almost able to find. Um, but it turned out that was pretty much all we needed to implement the controllers and network virtualization on top of the controllers uh, in terms of the, the, the flow computation. So the name sounds grandiose. It's, it's a domain-specific language, but it's actually quite simple, simple language in the end. And we can, we can, I'm sure we will dive into the details in a few minutes. 
So I, I think a lot of people, when they hear about a, a database language, they think of something like SQL. But I, I don't think Datalog is, is much like SQL. It, it's an earlier language, if I, if I remember right. Right. So SQL is almost like the industry version of Datalog in some sense. So Datalog actually is more well-known on the academic side of the world. On the industry side, I don't really know that many uses of Datalog in the end, but you really can express in Datalog most of the SQL queries, and it turns out that SQL actually is fairly complicated to implement, whereas Datalog is actually fairly primitive to implement. It's quite elegant in the nature. It doesn't have that rich that rich set of like functions and additional features built on, on top of it, which has happened for SQL over the over the past 20 years. So in some sense, you can kind of think, if very much simplifying, that, that Datalog is like a primitive SQL that just provides you with the basics of database table joins. That's it. So it's pretty hard in a, a medium like this to describe a language, but do you have any analogies or do, do you have in a way for the, the listeners to get an idea of what a Datalog program or an analog program looks like? An analog or datalog program is basically a collection of queries. So what you are doing really is that you are defining queries to produce new state or new tables. And then you can use these fresh, newly produced tables in other queries, in subsequent queries, to produce even more state. So you can think that it's like a sequence of queries you execute for state that you know about your environment to produce some some state, some intermediate state, and in the end, hopefully, some some state that you're able to use externally to do something meaningful for your system. So to translate that into the SDN and, and, and network virtualization, so what an analog program actually does is that it takes the, the inputs to the analog program are basically that the current state of the switches, the current the current configuration you actually have current virtualization, network virtualization configuration you have, the current locations of the VMs, all that state. And then it's a set of queries that basically transforms that into flow table entries that should be pushed down the switches. In the uh, analog program, we do not have the concept of time. So it is not from the first to the second line. The code execution depends on the trigger. So if you have a input table that will trigger uh, the computation and then it will get get some output table for you and it again will be pumped back to the code so there's no time everything is in a static way you just have a set of input and then you have a set output the output is exactly a function of the input table that's very important because it has nothing to do with the time and time is a pretty complex thing to manage in the code that is right. I mean, there's no order effectively. So you can think that analog program or data log program is effectively a function over the input state to produce output state. And that's the beauty of it. it actually, there's, there's no time, there's no order. It means that it's very deterministic. It actually is quite simple to test in the end because there's no typical issues of ordering uh, that are so prevalent in distributed systems typically. I, I think when we're saying a, a function here, we mean the output of the analog program is is a database that's a function of the entire input database. It's uh, quite a quite a large function. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, function in the mathematical sense that that all it takes to compute the output, it takes just the input. But you're right. We are simplifying quite a bit in terms of the amount of the state if it's just a function in the kind of regular sense. But it, it really is a database that is output of another database in some sense. 
maybe we should expand a little bit on why this is a, a good thing for a network virtualization system like NSX or, or OVN. It's pretty natural for programmers to just write uh, Im imperative code that transforms from uh, one form into another. We can do the same thing with NLog. We can do the same thing with some sort of a, a DSL. Uh, why is it better? That actually, if, even if you don't have a DSL, but if you take the most straightforward approach, that I think would be that almost obvious approach to start with. You would actually start to kind of implement some sort of a state machine, meaning that if the conditions kind of change in a certain way, your state machine will do the necessary things or fixes to actually update the network state. And actually that's something we did in the past and it works fine if the complexity of the state machine is fairly limited because, but remember with the state machine, you actually have the ordering to take care of. So, so it's not just the fact that the, 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 the ordering and the, the amount of parameters and the events you have to take under consideration typically explodes in such a way that maintaining this sort of a state machine actually gets quite complicated actually infeasible for people i would say in terms of like you might be able to implement it but actually like qaing it and kind of guaranteeing that the state machine is correct really correct gets quite difficult at scale basically now you're right I, it wouldn't have to be data log you could come up with some sort of other dsl that would actually like really capture the essence of that state machine but i would argue that if you actually take the ordering and the time away and make it deterministic you will arrive with something like Datalog quite naturally, actually. How did you come across Datalog? Was it something you knew from your academic work? Yeah, so I, I kind of had been exposed to some of that during my PhD studies. But in academia, actually, the, the typical goals people have are quite a bit more grandiose. So, so actually what people had done in the past, at Berkeley at least, they had tried to model like full complete distributed systems using data log. Not like one node, what we are talking about here, but actually the whole global behavior like routing protocols say. And that's like way more complicated than actually the data log you will have with with that sort of a modeling is quite tricky, actually. We kind of took that some idea, some of those ideas from there and kind of concluded that we actually don't have to model like global system here. We are just interested in modeling one function, basically, within a single node, but we want to do it in a way that it actually is like ordering independent, there's no time, and it's deterministic. So we kind of simplified the application of, of data log quite a bit, what it had been in academia in the past. When I think about routing protocols and so on, it seems to me like time is a pretty important factor of those. Right. How, right. how were they introducing that into data? Honestly, I don't remember the details really, but they had special operators and I think they were extend, extending even data lock to some extent. More importantly, I think that than the problem of modeling the, the routing protocol, I think the reasoning about those protocols was still complicated, even though you had a concise description of those routing protocols. So I think it was a more of an exercise for them whether you can actually model routing protocols. No, not whether they would be some practical value. So actually it's easy if you want to manage the time or even sequence with date log or analog. So you can just use one table as a, as a flag that some event happens and then you join this table with other tables. So you can specify the order of events in this way. It's pretty straightforward. We can describe the kind of things with analog. I've looked at some of the examples that, that you've provided, Yusheng, as ideas for how OVN can incorporate it. it. It looks to me like what I what you have there 
it, it's almost exclusively joins, and there's I, I haven't noticed that there's uh, any other sorts of operators involved. I mean, even things no. like say string concatenation. No. Uh, is is that what you think of as pure data log, or is is there going to be more that's going to be introduced over it's time? It's not pure data log. We need something else, so we have the concept of function, x not function. So, you see, for data log program, it cannot produce new values. You can you, you just rearrange the the, the date from the, the your database, but you cannot generate anything new. So if you want to have something new, for example, you if you want to generate a unique ID for entity, you need something else. This is where the external function plays. So we can define an external function written, for example, in C or in other program language, and then it will generate the date for you. But we need to keep the usage of that to very small, uh, small scope so that we not make the, the program looks very weird. So function is just this rule. So you oh. have a set of input tables and you specify the, the code to run to calculate the output tables. Oh, okay, okay, that would work as well. We were talking a, a little bit about query planning. So query planning is a, a pretty difficult operation in general in databases. I think it's exponential in the number, number of joins or maybe in the number of tables to be joined. What strategy did you take in MVP? We obviously started with something quite simple because I think I think something that the data log actually or kind of query languages allow you to do is that you can basically, to some extent at least, decouple the concerns of correctness from the concerns of runtime complexity or runtime cost. And in the beginning of the lifetime of a product, you're obviously more interested in the correctness typically. The scaling is, is a concern, but and the optimizations are a concern. But in the beginning, you really want to maintain the correctness and kind of focus on that, the features and everything else. So what we did was that we basically had an extremely simple, naive uh, planner in the beginning. And we were just focusing on the expressivity and the correctness of NLOG so that it was enough to actually um, compute the flows we needed. And then, over time, the planner obviously got more complicated and the process of improving that got more got more involved. Uh, but that implied that we had to, we didn't have to change any of the source code. And I think that was kind of a, one of the great wins that, that while one part of the team was improving and adding new features to the, the SDN slash network virtualization platform, the other portion, the one other part of the team could actually focus on improving the scaling. And these efforts actually mostly ran in parallel. And that's, that's very nice from software engineering point of view, obviously. So the exact planner we used in the beginning was extremely naive. And then gradually we, we started to do some simple basic optimizations to the planners, to the planner that you can basically find in any database literature that you kind of try to figure out using indices and whatever information you have about the table to kind of uh, optimize the order of tables. But then in the end, we actually had a static planner that was using uh, sample data sets to figure out which would be the sensible uh, execution order to, 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 to run by, by basically effectively sampling the data we had in the tables. But we never got took the next step, which is the kind of the, the, the final goal, that you should actually do this in runtime. Occasionally when the system runs, it should actually introspect the state, the data and the tables and kind of adjust the planners, plans accordingly. We did all the planning basically at the compile time of the product. Yusheng, I know that you've started on a N-log implementation for OVN. What approach are you using for query planning so far? Okay, so the query planning is pretty simple right now. So 
I just drawing from the table that has the smallest number of tuples and then to a larger table and so on. So we just hope that we will get rid of a lot of unuseful data at the very beginning so it will save time. This is one thing. And right now it is a single thread program so I'm think about to move it to a multi-thread programming. So that will introduce some complexity there but I I think we can just use the traditional way that database uses. We just use a two-phase locking, and it should be should not be a big problem there. Did the MVP implementation of nlog ever move to a, a multi-threaded? No, we we never implemented the the, the multi-threading itself. We had a prototype, if I recall correctly, that had multiple engines running in parallel, where each engine might run in different data. Yeah, they basically you had one tenant basically for one one engine. That that was the plan basically. And then it kind of nicely actually scales out, uh, and, and that's anyway something we used within the cluster to run organize the the, the computation. But yeah, it totally makes sense to use multiple cores even if you would have one 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 tenant. The one thing that I think makes sense is that you can actually use a lot of time with the planners. It's a time sink that there's no ending there, so I would just go gradually as the needs arise, just improve it. Because I don't know how you're planning to use this. This is running basically within the within the chassis, right? Maybe we should talk about that. I think there's a couple possibilities for how it could be used in OVN. Yusheng, do you want to talk about how, how you're planning to, to first bring it in? Oh, yeah, so... As the plan we have is to rewrite the current NOSD uh, demo with the analog. So right now we do not have a lot of drawing work there. It is the general picture in the logical world. So it will be much easier to generate the final overflow instructions than we have to do with MVP. Maybe our listeners don't know enough about the architecture of OVN. But at the top of the system, we have a database that describes the OVN uh, logical network architecture in terms of entities like logical switches and logical routers, that sort of thing. And then we have a daemon called NorthD that translates those into what we call logical flows. They're a lot like OpenFlow flows, except that they're in terms of logical ports, like, for example, VIFs, regardless of where they're actually placed in the system. And so we're, we're looking to use OVN to translate from these logical routers and switches down to logical flows. I think you were also talking about how we could use it in another level of the system. I personally um, tried the analog uh, in another controller. It's also a thin controller, very simple thin controller. So in that approach, we have two analog engines. One is at the controller side, and the other is running inside the hypervisor. So the two analog engines will talk to each other. It is just the, the interface is just table. So we can easily pass the information from one table to another table. What have you already implemented in the, uh, the, the, the system that you've built for OVN? You're, you're starting to post patches. What, what can we expect to see soon? Okay, so uh, the first uh, people, will, people are going to see the, the main page, so you can have a general idea of what NLOG is and what the syntax of the program is and the general implementation details. And then I'm going to, pa I'm going to submit a patch of the implementation. It's not a big program. It has about 3,500 lines of code, and we have maybe 1,100 10, lines of code for testing. So this is the first step, and then we're going to, to implement the NOSD with NLOG. This is the second step. I was pretty impressed when I first heard from you. Your, your first contact with me, you, you wanted to show me a, a demo of uh -huh. this SDN controller you, you built with NLOG, and I was uh, really surprised to hear that it, it, it seemed like a fairly small amount of code. So yep. far, it sounds like it adds up to under 5,000 lines. Mm -hmm. 
Um, I got the impression that the NLog engine in NVP was pretty big. Do you think that that's that that just means that we'll have to expand a lot over time, or what's your what's your? So actually, to be fair, this is very small amount of code you're talking about when it comes to the actual very core of the system. The runtime evaluation engine we had for the queries, I think it was less than five thousand lines of code in the end. It was the functions we had this library of functions that actually expanded to several tens of thousand lines of code. But those are kind of auxiliary functions we had. So the core itself was kind of a small. Obviously, the compiler, the more sophisticated the planner gets in the compiler, uh, that's where you can actually have a lot of code. But even that wasn't like tens of thousands of lines of code. We're talking about a small amount of code here that is actually very easy to unit test in a very, 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 very nice way. Somehow, I always had this uh, impression that, that it was big, but it, it sounds like that if anything was big, it wasn't the, the language interpreter no. and compiler, no. it was no. the, the program that it compiled and right. interpreted. Right, right, right. Now, and obviously, the, the, the number of queries we had was, was quite high, so, so, so there was a lot of complexity around that fairly slim and, and thin runtime core. But I think that was the part that everyone was very happy about, that it was very, very something that we didn't really change that much over the years. Was it a challenge to test it and, and make sure that it was up to snuff uh, in terms of quality? Yeah, so we had to spend a lot of time with that in the beginning because that's the one part that, as with any language runtime, you don't want to have any bugs there because then, then, then debugging the applications built on top of becomes becomes quite 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 annoying. So what we did actually that we had like an extensive array of of, of unit tests, but then at some point we actually kind of shifted gears once it felt we felt comfortable enough enough, we started actually creating random programs that has certain kind of characteristics. And then, then we used those characteristics in the unit tests to kind of verify that the random programs actually did complete and they did produce the certain kind of state that, that they were supposed to produce. Random in the sense that, that we were able to feed also random events, not just random queries. What's an example of a characteristic that you mean? We didn't have too many of them, but in the end, I think that the basic style was basically that, that we have random queries, uh, random joins effectively, and then it was basically that the state was supposed to be end, empty and, and in the beginning and the end of the program, basically. Beginning and end of the program in the sense that when you start feeding events and when you stop feeding events and the engine has converged, basically. I think those were the two two primary invariants we actually tested. Basically, that, that the the result of the joins in the end was was an empty set. Right, 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 right. And it turns out that it, because the, the evaluation engine we actually had, I don't know what are your plans, but one of the interesting things that this sort of a data lock engine actually allows you to do is that the computation of these queries can be incremental. You don't actually have to change the queries at all. It's just enough to change the runtime and the, the runtime to allow incremental evaluation of the queries. And that's something we had because we had a lot of flow entries. So we want it, because this was operating within the cluster. And, and, and we wanted to kind of efficiently compute quickly the, 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 the actual diff of changes to produce given the new events we just received. So all of the queries were, instead of evaluating them from scratch, like SQL databases typically do, we actually incrementally evaluated those queries. And that logic in the runtime engine was kind of a tricky. So we wanted to have really randomness covering this sort of a feeding of events, asynchronous events in a way that, that we felt that we had covered the space well enough. And I think in the end we ran it for a few weeks, basically, in the, in the one of the final runs. And then even after that, we kept the, the tests basically running, creating random programs, random data sets, and random events, and just doing that 24-7 all the time, basically. And then I think the last few bucks were something that took like really a few weeks to 
to nail it down. But then, then in the end, what you had was you had the program, you had the events, you basically had the data set that actually produces the bug exactly. So it was easy, fairly easy actually to start trimming down the, the data set. And then in the end, you had probably had like few events in certain order, few kinds of special joins, and then you had the unit test case, and then you just added that unit test case, that, that test case to the unit test set, and, and then kept it running. One of the techniques I've used for problems like this where you've got a, a big search space is I've pretty effectively in some cases used kind of a, a breadth first search mm -hmm. possibilities. And right. the nice thing about that is that when it finds a bug, it always finds the shortest possible path to the bug, right. so right, it's right, right, easy right. To, to understand what's going on. Right, right. Yeah, we didn't do that. We were actually happy to actually have just the exact sequence to produce the, the issue. And then we happily used a few hours to actually come up with the exact minimal conditions that trigger the issue. One question that's come to mind recently is OVSDB, which is what the OVN NLOG implementation is going to pull from, it has several different data types, but I haven't thought much about data types in data log and NLOG. Mm. What kinds of data types did NVP involve and, and what's your philosophy on that? We had the basics. I think we had ints, floats, strings, and booleans, those were, those were the basic ones. And then, then, then the, the one on the side was basically open flow entry. Open flow, one for open flow entry. And that's it. We'll probably have to think about that harder because OVSDB has a set and map types. I, I don't know if you've thought much about how, how to handle those yet. Do you have any thoughts? Uh, from the NLOG program point of view, we do not care about the data types because the only thing we can do is to join, and the only operation we need in this procedure is equal. So from that point of view, string is the only thing that we need. You need other data types because you need to support XNOR functions. And in that XNOR functions, you need to distinguish different data types, whether this is the integer or it's a Boolean. But as long as you constrain yourself to the uh, NLOG program, data type doesn't matter much. So I, I wonder, though, whether we'll need different ways to transform data from our input tables into n-log tables, a set or a map is probably not as useful as, as one entity as if it's uh, right. ripped together into mm -hmm. individual rows for, for each member. So for, for that part, we, we need to think about it. So in the n-log table, everything is flattened. So you do not have nasty structure there. So for the OSDB, we, we do support nasty structure. You can have a, a map inside a, a, a record and for this kind of things, we need to convert them to something that could be easily exp uh, expressed with tables. Yeah, with those integrations, one has to be careful because if the mapping is not straightforward and you have some sort of an asynchronous logic doing the conversion, that could be a kind of a nice source of some complicated issues because that, that could be kind of a stateful integration code you have, piece of code you have between the external OVSDP-like world and the, 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 the data log world you would have. I remember the MVP folks talking a lot about convergence. Is that what you're yeah. getting at? So, no, that actually is another thing that, that you will hit when you start to scale this. Um, so how long does it take to actually compute? How, do, how long? So in data log and in data voices, they talk about fixed point. You reach a fixed point when the outputs actually match the current inputs to the system, meaning the computation stops effectively at that point. Convergence, it's the time it takes to basically reach the fixed point. Now, if you have a busy system, you might actually never reach full convergence in the sense that you're always in process of catching up with the inputs. It basically means when your output has been output and your input hasn't changed yet. Right, right. 
So sometimes people explain this in this way. You have a gate uh, on top of the input, and you open the gate, and input will come into the system. And at a certain point, point of time, you need to close the input gate so that you will finalize the computation inside the engine, and you will get all the output. Right. I guess a lot of this comes down to performance. If your yep. system performs fast enough, then convergence is easier. Right. I think, uh, yes, that's true, but the other thing is about transaction. So you say this is a distributed system, and some part will some part will may fail, and if you fail in between of a transaction, you will have problem. So we need to know the boundary of a transaction. And transactions are also interesting that if you actually are able to maintain the transactional boundaries throughout the evaluation engine, then what it means is that your function, your output of this data log program actually is transactional as well. It matches the transactional, the transactional state updates you've been receiving from the input side. And that's a very nice property. It's very quite difficult to actually do with state machines, say. Whereas with this, you can basically say that if you, if you, have, if you close the gate, so to say, always at the transactional boundaries, you will have basically transactions coming out of the, the evaluation engine that you know that are consistent given the inputs that you, you, you fed into the system. I think we're lucky in that case for OVN because if you look at Northy, which is doing this transformation, its input is coming from a transactional database yep. and its yep. output yep. is also going yep. to a transactional yep. database. Yep. 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 Yeah, databases are ideal interfaces to this set of a system because the paradigm is not changing effectively. You are still operating over the data, you have transactionality, everything actually is kind of nice. The world gets more complicated if you say I have something like HTTP API that interfaces with this system. They might not even have a notion of a transaction to begin with. If they do, then it again kind of becomes more natural match. You worked with Nlog for a long time and you've been away from VMware for a while, so maybe at this distance you have a, a little bit of perspective on it. Uh, what, what do you think are, are the, the lessons that, that you learned from it that we should uh, take to heart in the OVN implementation? So the first one is kind of obvious, that if you Nlog, Datalog, that's a domain-specific language, DSL. And what's the first lesson you have with the DSLs? Never implement one. So, so, <laughs> so, so you have, but, but that's it. You, you guys are probably already beyond that. You're still considering to implement the DSL. And that's fine if you have a well-justified reason to do that. Because the DS, DSLs come with a cost. It's not actually the runtime that is the cost. It's not even the application you're writing. Because if the, the, the DSL matches the exact needs you have for, for your application, the DSLs will produce very nice, compact, understandable programs. Everyone is happy, except the one who actually has to provide the tooling around all of this system. So you need to have all the tools to actually assist in developing and debugging and troubleshooting and scaling this server system. So I think this is the part where most people actually underestimate the effort involved and required to make it like production quality and unusable for, for most of the developers. So because you don't want to have the typical developer writing a like, data log program to actually be, debug the runtime when, when debugging the application. You need to have troubleshooting tools. I think that's one lesson. And I think the second one actually is that, that uh, with NVP, if I recall correctly, we never had any correctness issues after we introduced data log. That's very impressive, actually. We had all kinds of issues with, 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 with scaling and making it actually fast enough, but we never had correctness issues. And, and whereas with state machine-based approaches, I guarantee you, that, guarantee that you will have a lot of correctness issues and scaling issues. So that alone, to me, actually is the reason that, that 
one should really, really, really consider using something like data log in this sort of a system, because then you can at least get the correctness issues out of the table and focus on the scaling, which is not easy, but at least you don't have the correctness issues to worry about. So we already made the mistake. We invented a second analog engine. <laughs> <laughs> you remind, reminded me that I need to have a better tooling for this program language. At least we need to have some kind of profiler. Yeah, 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 definitely, definitely. Because you, you and, and to be fair, you don't see this right away. Everything works fine, scales and converges quickly. But there will be a time that you will see the issues and then you'd have to be able to actually figure out what's yeah. going on. And in the best case, it should be someone else than you that should be able to do it. Are there any specific tools that you think we should implement? So, so uh, planner is definitely something you want to have some insights into. So you want to be able to introspect not just the data within the database. So that's one thing, obviously, you need to be able to see what's within the data. If you suspect that you have an issue, having a snapshot of the whole state is very nice. You can have a unit test that saves the snapshot. Even a running system have a snapshot and introspect that. That's kind of an obvious thing. But then you want to have also very good introspection facilities towards the plans so that the plans are actually correct. Uh, that's it. I think this sort of a system actually allows you to build very nice tools that actually capture the full state of the runtime and the full system, so it's easy to reprodu reproduce and introspect for the developers, even if you had a, had a production system that you are looking at. That's very that's kind of a nice upside of using this sort of database-based approaches. I think I have just one more specific question. I think based on the guided tour you gave me of the system you built, it currently does everything with hash joins, and that's a very basic tool of databases, of course. Did the NVP engine, was it entirely based on hash joins? Yeah, yeah, yeah that's what we did in there. We, we used a lot of indices, though, but it was just hash joins. We didn't, we didn't take the jump towards more fancy options that are, that are out there. Okay. So, so in the end, it was just that our data sets actually were small enough to fit in memory anyway. I expect that we'll be working with data sets that yeah, have memory yeah, as well. Yeah, so I, don't, I, I think that the, the, the first thing that you will probably hit is just the, the, the plans themselves, that you'll just have to improve them. And after that, if you have a lot of data, then you will have all these join algorithm issues, obviously, as well. So we, we do the same for the OVN data log. We also use hash tables. Yeah. Is there anything else that either of you would just like to add to make sure that the listeners have? I think just one thing. So. Talking about the performance, it is not the engine that introduces extra performance issues. It is the problem itself. If you have a complex computation procedure, no matter what you program it, whether it is a state machine approach or the log approach, it will cost you the computation uh, issue. So that log is not a problem. That log is the thing that you, you, you need for, for this problem, for this computation. You're saying that it's a difficult problem, yeah. and so it'll be a difficult problem yeah. no matter exactly. how you implement yeah. it. So if you are familiar with the, pro uh, the, uh, the language itself, if you are familiar with the procedure of analog engine, you will write good program. And that good program will now introduce extra cost for the computation. If you need to do drawing with analog engine, you actually, in other approach, you also need the drawing. Yeah, yeah. I, th I think one of the issues is that, that uh, as the number of queries increases, it might be so that you have additional kind of helper queries and helper tables, that, and then you might actually have more cost 
than you would have in the kind of optimal implementation. And that's actually something where tooling could help. But that's a very difficult problem, actually, to kind of figure out how to provide visibility into the the kind of abstractions you use within the data log program almost. The other thing I would I would I would emphasize that that if if anyone uh, most of most of you guys are probably not familiar with data log, it's very nice programming language in the compared to any other programming language. Well, perhaps Lisp is an exception. That it's a very simple language to learn actually. First, the programs don't make any sense, and then you start actually look at the joins and the the, the functions, and then you have one aha moment. And then actually after that moment, you have fully learned the whole language, basically. So it's a very nice learning experience. It's completely binary, I would say. How can people get in contact with each of you? Are you on Twitter, etc.? I'm not, unfortunately. People can email me, last name koponen at stider.com. That works. Thanks, Tamo. Yushan? Email also works for me. It is yshwang at vmware.com. All right. Thanks a lot. And thanks for agreeing to talk to me. I hope that the listeners enjoy hearing about this. It's been a good discussion. Thank you. Thank you. OVS Orbit is edited and produced by Ben Pfaff using Audacity audio editing software and released under the Creative Commons unported 3.0 license. The intro and bumper music in this episode is excerpted from Electro Deluxe by My Free Mickey and the outro from Girls Like You by Stefan Kartenberg, both under the Creative Commons Attribution unported 3.0 license. For more information about OpenVSwitch and OVS Orbit, please visit openvswitch.org.